Smarter Manufacturing, the podcast where we solve the manufacturing equation, connecting materials, processes, systems, and talent for a smarter manufacturing future. We are brought to you by Lyft, the Detroit-based Department of Defense-supported nonprofit public-private partnership driving American manufacturing into the future through technology and talent development. Join us at lyft.technology. Welcome back to another edition of Smarter Manufacturing. My name is Joe Steele, Senior Director of Communications and Legislative Affairs for Lyft, the National Manufacturing Innovation Institute where technology and talent matter. And today we are talking on the talent side of the house with someone we frankly are overdue in speaking with. Today we are glad to welcome Jason Ball, District Manager at Miller Electric to the program. Jason, good to talk to you today. Thanks for having me. Thank you for that introduction. Uh, no problem. No problem. Uh, uh, so Miller is a is a proud member of Lyft, or we're proud to have Miller as a as a member of Lyft on the uh, really focused on our talent uh, program, our learning innovation for tomorrow program. So I guess tell us a little bit more about Miller Electric, what it is you guys do, and and uh, and we'll start the conversation there. Perfect. Yeah, Miller is actually owned by a company named IT or sorry, yeah, ITW Illinois Tool Works. And uh, in that capacity, we've, they've got a couple of flagship brands that fit under the welding segment. So ITW as a whole owns many companies throughout the United States. In fact, one of the things we talk about uh, in our leadership meetings is, uh, or even in onboarding, how almost at any point in your life, you've come across an ITW product, whether you're in a car driving to work or you know, walking through the building. Uh, we have so many patents and processes that we, we, we do. It's, it's interesting. So all, anything from like the PAS load to the, which is a uh, pneumatic, not a pneumatic, sorry, a combustion air nailer that uses for construction. We've got patents for the, the, the zipper packaging that you see on the cheese that's out there. We do a lot with plastics in the innovation for like gas caps and some other fuel system type things that happen in automotive. So ITW has got their hands in a lot of different pies. And specifically when within, I represent the welding segment side of that fabrication, which is under Miller Electric, Hobart Filler Metals, and Tergaskis and Bernard. So between those three um, companies, we're actually able to command a, a very awesome space of, you know, the, the kind of tip to barrel, we call it, where we we have the the, the ownership of the, the wire that goes into the product you're trying to weld, the machine that actually does it, and the gun or the MIG welding gun that you hold on to, to be able to control that process. So it really does give us that full solution type package when we come into this, uh, any manufacturing space. And I think I read recently that you guys are not quite a hundred years old, but getting there, right? Getting there. Yeah. Certainly under the ITW side and Miller before it was purchased in the, I want to say it was a late 80s, early 90s, before that tra- that acquisition happened, uh, Miller had been around for for many years and started out in the farmlands of Wisconsin. You know, as uh, some some farmers trying to make their way with figuring out how to get welding capability out there. So, um, pretty interesting story about that innovation in that space and how rural America really was, you know, building this brand. You know, as, you know, almost 100 years ago. So, pretty yeah. awesome. Yeah, that's uh, that's great. And Miller is one of those uh, logos that once you see it, you can't unsee it. You start seeing it everywhere. Um, yes, because uh, as you mentioned, it is pretty ubiquitous around uh, manufacturing. Um, hey, uh, so I mentioned that you guys are a member of Lyft. Uh, certainly appreciate your uh, your membership and you as an individual. I think we're recently honored with one of our Insight Awards for 2022, given the work that you've done with the organization over the course of the last year. So thank you very much for that. Um, how did 
uh, how did uh, Miller come to uh, to Lyft and working with us as a manufacturing innovation institute? The earlier story, I'm not too privy to before I became involved in, in Lyft. My time in Lyft came right when I took this role as a district okay. manager. And just a little bit of background on me. I, I came from manufacturing as a weld engineer by trade. So uh-huh. sales was a very unknown place for me to be in. Um, when I did my onboarding and I got wrapped up with that, my director RM at the time and another DM that was helping train me were like, hey, we've got this workforce initiative in downtown Detroit that's starting to come on board. Uh, you know, My counterpart at that time was Craig Eppley, and he had, I think he had been involved in some of those earlier discussions that had alignment with some folks in Wisconsin that Lyft has, right, which is also right. not far from our manufacturing and headquarter base. So that, that allowed some, some earlier conversations about how Miller can get involved in this, this development program. So really for me, and the short answer is I showed up and these guys were like, here's this thing, go run with it. And I was like, <laughs> fantastic. But uh, what attracted me to this idea is I have a heavy background in greenfield projects, which mm-hmm. is plant startups. I've done some over in Europe. I've done some in the U.S. side uh, around manufacturing. So I, I felt that this fit the you know, pedigree that I've been kind of getting into, which is startups have require some, some different frameworks. And one of those key attributes of a framework is patience, right. Mm-hmm. To be able to, because these relationships, there's something that's built on a large scale of time. If you look for an immediate payback on these, you just never find it. Um, right. You have to take some chances with your time. You have to take some chances with people. Um, it, I never got comfortable with in my startups with the people I would start those projects with because you never typically ended those projects with people because people move on they're two to three years. And so I got used to making, you know, really solid relationships in a short amount of time because people just move around. So, but back to the lift piece, um, it really just started by, Hey, here's, here's this team of people that we're trying to build. And that was exciting to me because it's not like the welding department was established. There, there wasn't leadership at the time. Like Marianne wasn't even in her role at that point. Right. And it was a lot of building blocks that needed to be put together. And that's where I like coming in at. That was, that was key for me. It was more frustrating when you come into a space, I feel it's already set up because I want to be able to kind of help have a, a say and craft it in a different way. And right. this was, this was a perfect chance for that. So yeah, it, it started by, uh, you know, kind of a phone call and my boss says, Hey, be over at this place. And that's when we <laughs> sat down and, and talked to your team. And I started getting the idea of like, wow, so I can, yeah, I can put some equipment in here and, and under, I got the mission of what you want to do. It's centered to Detroit. You know, right. I don't have any, anything else like it that I had on my plate. That's that close to Detroit. And I really wanted something that was downtown in that vicinity. And yeah, from there, I just I put a lot of faith in the idea with it, and I've been a you know trying to be a champion for you guys as well outside of just the borders of Detroit. And now we've really grown it to now I've got an education partner with Patricia Carr. We, I think you've met Remy virtually, mm-hmm. where she's the national account manager for education. So I've been able to to get Lyft's name up through our ranks and get some attention so that we're talking at a national level because I started to realize this is bigger than just what I can control in Detroit, which is fantastic. And so that's the thing too. It's the Greenfield going back to that. It's building a team and continuing to kind of build a team even beyond the the whole like Detroit idea. And that's that's something very exciting to me. Yeah, that's awesome. So it sounds like you came in right around the time the learning lab was being developed and, uh, and put together. Um, yes, which is where our you know welding technician training center is. So tell us a little bit about the equipment that you have there uh, at our facility uh, in Detroit. Uh, what that looks like, what people are able to to learn. Just more if you can get into some of the specifics of what you've got there. 
Yeah. And I want to preface this a little bit because one of the other keys of, of a successful team I find is those personalities. And one mm-hmm. of them is Richard Hoffer. Ah, what, yeah. By, by meeting Rich, I really found, you know, this, here's somebody that's passionate because as just pivoting to that greenfield again, when you have a passionate uh, facilities leader, things happen and things happen in a great way. And when, so getting to know Rich and just understanding how he was into the facility and what he built and what he wanted to have a vision for was critical for me because facility managers can either help you or be a real hindrance on things. And so Rich was key to just have that collaborate. He was the first one I could really collaborate and talk numbers, Mm. equipment, power usage, right. And all these little details that a lot of times when you're in a a front office meeting, most people are like, well, we got to talk to somebody. Well, by going to Rich, you know, like this is the answer. And it's like, cool. It's way more efficient when you can get that key relationship. So I, I've really appreciated that time getting to know Rick, Rich. Oh, and, awesome. yeah. and, uh, you know, and that's how this really flowed well for us in the beginning, but now to the equipment side of your question, um, that was the goal I had was, you know, in, in a lot of education spaces, money is a massive issue as we know, and that can be a deterrent for many programs to, you know, put the right equipment that helps students, and, you know, adults learn a process effectively to go to the workforce. There's so many schools I kept running across in my earlier days as a DM here in the Metro Detroit area that were stocked with, you know, lower budget equipment. You know, sometimes it didn't matter if it was blue or red. It was just, you know, the least expensive thing they could put in there. Right. And as I started getting on these advisory boards, I, I started to share the pain point of, guys, when I go into these places as a, as a sales rep and I'm trying to educate the workforce, I started finding that they didn't know anything about the technology I'm trying to sell. Mm-hmm. And I started to realize that that's creating a gap. The gap is this, you know, probably have some cost barriers. There's also some education barriers because here you have instructors that don't know this new technology and pulse and you know, some of these other buzzwords that get thrown around in the industry, but they're extremely useful and helpful and industry is, is starting to go that way. But I started seeing how education was, was really help is slowing itself down to be able to get people into that space that knew the equipment that, you know, didn't have to be constantly trained by a sales rep or an applications right. engineer at the shop. So fitting that lab with, you know, just the latest and greatest of equipment that wasn't just like shock and awe, because it's easy. You could put the most expensive equipment in that space, Right. And say, hey, here's a continuum, which is a you know very expensive machine. For me, it was like, well, I want to scale it to what's realistic. Like, what do I see in Detroit? What do I see around the metro area based on the industries that are here? In fact, right. aerospace, construction, you know, there's automotive presence, obviously, with the automation component to it. So for me, it became, hey, let's I'm gonna build this list out of what I think makes sense. And then hiring the, you know, getting Chris Ewing on board for the mm-hmm. Weld Instructor side. Again, another collaboration as I get folks in. This isn't me just trying to be like the, the Wizard of Oz in the background where I <laughs> just tune all these knobs and nobody knows what's happening. So getting the Weld Instructor like Chris was key. And again, another solid person. And actually, I knew Chris prior to this experience, which was yeah. super fun. We got to cross paths again and really much enjoyed collaborating with him. So we both got to take a crack at Hey, here's the list of equipment, Chris. Like, here's what I'm thinking. What are you thinking? And so each year as we've put equipment in there, we've really settled on these you know, multi-process units with the suitcase feeders, um, which bridges a couple gaps with construction and, and under roof manufacturing is really our two main spaces that we're trying to you know, utilize that lab to educate people for. Mm-hmm. And it's gotten a really good response from other folks like the local 25, who we recently introduced to your guys' space as well. Mm-hmm. And that, you know, just shows the level of like, hey, we're trying to pay attention to this. We're listening to the partners. We're listening to industry. 
what are they doing? What do they have gaps with training and just making sure that lift is, you know, at the core of that to, to keep that message alive of this is relevant. This is useful. And when they leave here, they're going to be, you know, very successful with what they learned. And they're going to see that equipment when they go to the shop. That is mm-hmm. a key point of what I like to make sure is in those facilities. Yeah. And that's obviously important to us because, you know, as, as our, our mission as a nonprofit public private partnership manufacturing innovation institute is not only to transition technology which our engineers and technicians are working on along with our ecosystem each and every day but to um, prepare their workforce not only for tomorrow but for provide opportunities for people that are looking for jobs or jobs that are available right now today whether they need a you know reskill upskill new skill whatever it happens to be um, so your point about having that equipment that is available to them in the shop floor is, is, is important because welding, um, technician training is, is, uh, one of our, you know, four majors that we, you know, run out of lift because it's one of the most in demand jobs, uh, or careers that is, uh, that's available out there. So, uh, can you talk, touch on a little bit about that in terms of what you see out there in the world in terms of the de- demand for, for people with these kinds of skills? Yeah, and I'll, I'll definitely open it up to, you know, it, we talk about welder shortage all the time, but there's also a massive shortage of leadership in this role too. Mm. There's the shortage of weld instructors. So anytime I've had these convos, I've definitely like to make sure that, hey, we're breaking this out into identifying the other areas that are underserved in the industry. Mm-hmm. Teacher education's you know, not that high right now in some, some of these segments of welding because you've had a lot of people that retired and left. Right. And I've in my anecdotal evidence is I've trained a lot of woodshop teachers and automotive teachers to be weld instructors. And that's concerning to me. Um, not for the fact that, Hey, I have to train them. I'm, I love that opportunity to, to get in with folks, especially when they're early on and and tr- trying to learn the trade. That's my favorite spot to be in as a, as an instructor, when I have to wear that hat, but it's concerning to me to feel, see that that happening more and more and more often where there just isn't a pipeline of folks that are coming into the welding space to teach it. They're, they're left with limited resources. And, you know, too many times I've seen, you know, different CTE programs that are just like, Hey, here's some money, here's a body and go teach this content. And so I've I've had a challenge of trying to get to those upper echelons of CTE coordinators to be able to have a realistic discussion about what it really takes to build a program. And there's a ton of interest in different schools wanting to build programs and I've been fortunate enough to have a couple pull me in on discussions. And it's anytime I've left these meetings, they're always just like, uh, they've got this look on their eyes. Like we had no idea what it takes to build a welding space. And I said, I understand that. Like if, when you don't do something, you're going to have a lot of questions to ask. And it's all about asking the questions and you know, having someone that can guide you in that journey. And uh, the, the question, you know, uh, what it takes to build the space, both on the um, on the uh, uh, financial side of what it costs, but also on the skill side for the the people you mentioned who need to lead the the effort. Yeah, it's it's definitely a twofold issue. I mean, I've seen people throw a fifty thousand dollar material budget at you and say, "Hey, this is this is great. You can you can go run this lab with nineteen seventies equipment. Here's fifty k in metal." And you're like, "That's not enough." And <laughs> not just saying that's not enough. Here's tell me what your goal is and your mission, how many students you have. And I can help you understand what that scale really looks like, because, right. you know, it, it's, it's easy enough to do a spreadsheet to, to look at this thing when you're counting the beans, but there's a big reality to it that most, and I blame it a little bit on the fact that welding is an, is not very easily approachable. 
right? And, and there's a couple of barriers, I think, that set up for the general public, which is it's, you know, it can be loud. It's a manufacturing space. You got the grinding at the arcs and sparks. It's an intimidating right. space. Sure. You know, and we're, we've always been trying to break down this thing. Like welders are just gruff, you know, ornery people and, you know, they're dirty environments. And it's great to see, you know, a company like Lyft and other manufacturers that have done a great job in trying to clean up what that, that persona really looked like because it, it was always seen as, well, I don't want little Jimmy to be a welder. That's a dirty, dangerous, right. hard job. And, right. you know, it's taken us like 25 years to break down that rhetoric in a way. And we're still fighting that a lot with folks mm-hmm. because you know, there's times I've been at a, you know, a, a local high school event where they have like their skills night where all the parents come in and they, there's some that come to me with a general concern of like how their son or daughter will be treated in the industry, you know, mm-hmm. because they have some apprehension of like, well, he really likes welding, but I'm concerned. And so I've, I've definitely taken a point to, to help them understand like, well, yeah, it is hard work. There are some aspects of it that are dirty and, you know, can, if, if you mitigate, you have to mitigate some of the safety issues, but, I, but on top of that, it's a super rewarding career if you really involve yourself into it. And um, you know, hopefully they leave those conversations a little more confident that their son or daughter is going into the correct space so but yeah there's a perception issue that we have in the industry as well that um, you're always having to combat yeah i mean that's one of the reasons why we exist right and why we're so thankful the partnership with uh with you and 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 miller electric because we are a um as i mentioned a nonprofit public private partnership really an open door uh you know facility where we're bringing thousands of people through the door uh um, you know, pre pre COVID, uh, hopefully we're ramping back up now, but, uh, uh, but bringing thousands of people through the door and they can see, um, what it looks like and see kind of what, uh, what the, the, the welding, you know, um, area is what it, how, how it operates, uh, and hopefully be less intimidated by, by having, uh, the ability to see it. Cause oftentimes I think, you know, people don't, just don't know what they don't know. And they have these assumptions going in and, uh, it may not be accurate. Right. Uh, so uh, I mentioned, you, know, you mentioned Chris, uh, we certainly appreciate him being on, uh, on the team uh, teaching uh, welding. Want to make sure the audience you know, knows how committed the team has been, you guys and, and, uh, and our, our, our own internal staff and the instructors we have, because we've been running these welding programs pretty much all through 2020 and 2021. Obviously in 2020, we were limited in terms of the uh, number of people we could have and and being careful in terms of distancing and masking and things like that. But, uh, um, but you were able to expand uh, the number of cells you had in our facility during that time as well. So uh, I think that just speaks to the demand for, uh, for these uh, types of training opportunities. Yeah. And, you know, I, I, there's a couple of points I want to go back to, like, you know, first thing, getting back in that lab space kind of full time with, with everybody moving through it and getting, getting young high school folks to come through it has been awesome. Uh, we did a really fun interaction with Brandon High School with Sarah Walker, mm-hmm. where we brought those young minds in and we built the project right. So we changed it up a little bit. And that just made it just, it really kicked it off for me, like reigniting the interest in being in that space. And I, you know, I miss that kind of stuff because yeah, to your point back in 2021 and 2020, you know, it was, it was fantastic that Lyft still tried to hold the line as much as you could. Like you guys had obviously pressures, just like all of industry did where the States were telling you, you gotta back this off or here's all these new rules. And we're all trying to navigate what's the, what's the go to market now that, you know, you have all these restrictions in place. And, you know, when I saw that there was a level of commitment, you know, with Marianne and Chris, like we're still doing this, it just has to be scaled this way. 
That's where I felt. Hey, Miller has a responsibility to still be with you guys in this, this capacity. And what are we going to be able to do to help with that? And when it was even like, again, back to my whole point about being patient and seeing the long-term goal, yeah. uh, that's where I was like, I'm putting faith in this too, because I see how the team is coming around to, you know, still have these classes. And, you know, if you got Chris in there learning how to, how to run this space during COVID, like I'm there with them trying to also figure that out. And it yeah. gave us a chance to look at expanding that space a little bit. And Richard Hoffer was still very much involved with like, Hey, yeah. we're going to add these booths you know, what do you need from us to be able to do it? And so again, it was like, we, we didn't stop doing the, you know, we didn't stop trying to obtain the mission. It was really right. just, Hey, we got to scale it down a, a little bit as far as activity goes. <laughs> but that's the part about greenfields that I learned is you don't freak out with the immediate reality in front of you. Like it, there are challenges. There are, there's going to be delays. There's going to be things that happen that change and require you to pivot but what you can't lose is the end goal. And so it's always good to have that kind of big picture view of where is this relationship going and is it, you know, is it benefiting both parties? And it very much is. And that allowed me to, to keep continuing the, the charge for it. And obviously if we can make it through a situation like COVID, uh, we can pretty much tackle anything at this point. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, we appreciate uh, your commitment and the team's commitment. I just really wanted to bring that up for the, for the listeners to understand um, the level of commitment that, uh, that you guys had. And we know, that it takes a, um, a community, it takes the ecosystem that we have, and, and that's one of the reasons we exist and, and uh, thankful for partners like, uh, like you guys to do that, not only in Detroit, and as we, as we look to grow and expand around the, the nation with uh, you know, potential satellite facilities, we hope that, uh, uh, that we can work with you guys on, on those places as well. To, uh, so it's not just, uh, just in Detroit that we're providing these opportunities, but, uh, but elsewhere around the country um, going forward as well. So uh, listen, Jason, we really appreciate um, you taking the time today. Appreciate the, uh, the partnership uh, uh, and your membership with, with our organization. And hopefully we'll keep opening the, the hearts and minds of the public out there to, um, to welding opportunities that, uh, that exist. Any uh, parting, uh, parting thoughts for us? Hey, we're, we're trying to change the world, right? One <laughs> weld at a time. Exactly, exactly. Well, listen, thank you so much. Uh, and uh, we'll, we'll, we will talk to you soon. All right. Thank you very much for the introduction and the uh, conversation. Joe. All right. Appreciate it. Thank you. Have a good one. Talk to you. For more information on Lyft and how you can become a member, visit us online at www.lyft.technology.